Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. It's all about being in Him. And I think it's about us dwelling and abiding in the truth that we are covered from the top of our head to the tip of our toes by this armor, who is Jesus, and to live strongly and confidently in that rather than giving in to the fear that the enemy has more power than our mighty God. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Hello, friends. I'm so glad you're joining me for another episode of the No More Perfect Podcast. You know, life on this side of heaven is challenging at times, and that's not news for any of us. But what might be news is that there's a battle going on around us that many of us are unaware of. There's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to be aware of this, but even more, we need to be aware of how to find victory over that battle. Today, my friend Judy Dunnigan is joining me for a discussion on this topic. Judy is an acquisitions editor at Moody Publishers, and Moody has published my last six books, and I love them dearly. Judy's also the author of The Loudest Roar, Living in the Unshakable Victory of Christ. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Judy. Thank you, Jill. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, goodness. So, Judy, you live in my favorite place in the whole wide world. Well, you live part of the year in my favorite place in the whole wide world, Colorado. And I'm Mm -hmm. so jealous, but I do get Mm -hmm. to see you when I'm in Colorado. So that's nice. Uh, Tell us uh, what you personally love about living in Colorado, but you winter in Arizona. So tell us what you personally love about both of those places and a little bit about your family. Yes, we have been in Colorado almost 20 years, Joe, which is a big deal for us because our first 20 years of marriage, we uh, moved every two to three years. But Rick and I, I know, Rick and I really wanted to settle in Colorado and we're so grateful to be in Colorado Springs. It truly is one of the most gorgeous cities in America. We can see Pikes Peak and there's a lot of hiking and beauty. I feel like the mountains just shout out his majesty, don't you? It's just, you look at them and you're like, whew. And, uh, 
But about three years ago, when my husband was turning 60, he said to me, baby, you know, I think we should live. I don't want to live anywhere where the temperature is lower than my age. And so we knew we were always going to end up in Arizona, probably to winter one day. And and so about four or five years ago, we bought a place here. And so we're starting to winter here from about October. And in, in uh, Colorado, you can still get snow in May. So we probably will be here until mid-May. And we're really blessed. We love both places. Wow. Okay. Tell us about your family. Well, we have two daughters and they are both married and uh, we've got grandchildren that just keep coming, which we absolutely love. We have five grandchildren under the age of five. We have four boys and a little girl. Our oldest grandson just started kindergarten. He's five. And then we have two three-year-olds and two one-year-olds. And they are the joy of our lives, of course, you know, as uh, grandma. And what I find so fun is, you know, us baby boomers, we don't want to be called grandma. I don't know why. So I was going to be Mia. <laughs> For some reason, I picked the name Mia. I thought it sounded kind of Italian or something. And <laughs> our old, our oldest Liam couldn't say it. So he deemed me when he was two years old, I suddenly became Momo. So I'm now Momo for one of the families and Mia for the other, but I would go by anything they want to call me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. You know, I, um, I go by Nana. So I'm Nana, mm -hmm. Marcus Papa. And, uh, but I remember my mother, really struggling with being called grandma. And, uh, when I had my first baby and, and I was 20 when I had my first baby. So, um, you know, my mom was relatively young and, uh, she wanted, but I, it's, which is so funny. She came up with grandmother, which to me sounded <laughs> yeah. older, but whatever, you know? <laughs> so, um, our daughter could not say grandmother. And so she called her la la la. <laughs> that's the best that's the best <laughs> and you know she she got the right number of syllables um but that's all she could get so she now you know now she does go by grandmother and all the kids you know when you say grandmother they know who you're talking about right, so right so I love much that. fun what a fun story <laughs> Oh, well, um, you have a new book out and this is, uh, this was kind of new for you to be on this side of the publishing journey. You're usually the one that is acquiring authors for Moody, but you had a book idea yourself and, um, it's, uh, the loudest roar living in unshakable victory of Christ. So tell us the story behind that book. Jill, I had the joy and privilege of growing up in a home where my father was a pastor. I'm a PK, pastor's kid, and he lived out the truths that he taught from the pulpit. He lived those out at home very authentically, and I'm so grateful for that. And when mm -hmm. he was a young pastor, the Lord really led him to start writing on warfare, mostly our victory in Christ and on the armor. And I was only in middle school when his first book, The Adversary, came out in the mid-70s. His mm -hmm. name is Mark Bubeck, and that's a, a best-selling book. And so at a very young age, I began to learn what it meant to stand in our victory, to pray scripture, to pray the armor on. That's outlined in Ephesians 6. And the Lord has used that in my life for decades, um, and in our marriage, in our home 
home. And I just started a sense a few years ago that we needed another book um, on that in terms of just biblically sound and teaching on the armor. And the Lord opened the door for me to do that with the loudest roar. And I'm so grateful. I'm also on the board of the ministry he founded, which is called Deeper Walk International. And I do a lot of speaking for them. And so God just, like I said, opened the door for this book and I'm praying he uses it for his glory. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's define for our audience, um, what is spiritual warfare? Why do we need to understand that it exists? Um, because, you know, it may be, we all come from differing, uh, faith backgrounds. It may be something that people are familiar with. It may be something they're not familiar with. Uh, let's, can we just define it and help people to understand why, uh, why we need to, to better understand this? Well, yes, you know, God's word from Genesis and all the way to Revelation speaks of the formidable foe, Satan. We see the enemy in Genesis and how he comes at Eve with temptation and the fall. And we see him even in Revelation. And we're told in his word that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I remember not that long ago, my head was kind of down in defeat. There was a lot going on in our family and just sensing the enemy coming at us on many fronts. And Jill, I just cried out to the Lord. I said, your word tells us that the enemy is a roaring lion trying to devour us. Why does he have so much power? Why is his roar so loud? And I'll never forget it. It was as if the Lord said to me, yes, Judy, but I'm the bigger lion with the loudest roar. I'm the lion of Judah. I'm on the throne and Satan is ultimately a defeated foe. Now we're told in God's word that the enemy is the father of lies. That's his language. Mm -hmm. He's a liar. We're told he's the accuser of the brethren. We saw that with Job when he went before God and and accused Job. And he's still doing all of that today. And so the key, though, for us is to have balance. You probably know that there's people who blame the enemy for everything. Mm -hmm. I even had a friend who fell into an affair and she blamed it on the enemy rather than her own choices to sin. Mm. Then there's others on the other side of the spectrum who... Um, think the enemy is just a fictional character in horror movies. And then somewhere in the middle are those who think, I just want to ignore him. I don't want to know how to stand in victory against him. And then he'll leave me alone. And really that's very dangerous thinking as well. But the key is to be biblical and balanced and to understand we do have an enemy. And yet the more important thing is that our Lord Jesus Christ has won the victory for us over him. And we see that through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Yeah. And we have to claim that victory for ourselves and do the work of sometimes uh, the, you know, recognizing that battle. So in what areas do you think the enemy attacks us the most? Well, I really believe it's with temptations. Uh, He's all about luring us to to sin against our God. We saw that with Eve and Genesis, and I'm sure every listener can relate to that. He's all about tempting you and as if it's not going to be that bad or God didn't really mean don't do that. And then we fall into sin and then he's all about accusing us with shame and uh, to almost the point where why turn from your sin is hopeless. And so I think one of the main ways is through temptation and then also through lies, lies about who we are in Christ. I have been in women's ministries for so many years and so many women struggle with really believing they're beloved of our God, that they are seen. Mm-hmm, that they're loved. And I think a lot of that is because of how the enemy accuses them or wants them to turn from our God because of lies 
about our God and about our God's faithfulness and his goodness. And so I have a whole chapter on when we believe lies and how to stand against that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about even the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible, um, what he, he lied about was God to Eve, Mm -hmm. right? He Mm -hmm. said, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this is, this is what, you know, God just doesn't want you to experience this. And so it was like, it's sometimes just the tiniest tweak of Mm -hmm. a message. Um, It's not like this out and out big, um, uh, obvious lie. It's like the tiniest tweak of a message. Yeah. Yeah. He's very crafty that way. You know, I love us to look at when Christ was tempted, when Jesus was tempted after his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, you know, Jesus had to be very tired and exhausted and hungry and very vulnerable. And that's when Satan thought he could come at him with these really three ferocious temptations. And Mm -hmm. uh, you can study that in scripture, but each time the enemy came at him with a temptation, our Lord Jesus wielded God's word, the truth of his word. We're told in Ephesians 6 that God's word is the sword of the spirit. It's the weapon we can use against the enemy. And Jesus modeled that for us better than anyone. And he was the son of God. And yet Satan still thought he could tempt him and, and draw him away. And so I always wonder why believers think that the enemy doesn't try to pull the same thing on us Mm -hmm. and you know right right if he Mm -hmm. if he's gonna pull it on jesus he's certainly gonna try it uh on us as well so um one of the things that you write about in your book is about your own battle with fear and anxiety and that was particularly evident when you were a young mom living overseas with babies toddlers so talk about that journey for you and and what you learned in that. Yes, Jill, that um, what's interesting about me is I think I have battled anxiety probably my whole life. I like to joke that I wonder if it goes so far back that right after I was born, if I worried I did that right. I mean, even as a little <laughs> girl, I was very anxious and fearful. And that really escalated when I became a new mom. You know, I remember holding my firstborn when she was born and just loving her so deeply, but also thinking if ever anything ever happens to her and I lose her, I won't be able to survive. And I didn't realize that I thought I kind of made a deal with God that day. Well, a few years later, we were living in Beijing and our youngest daughter was three and we were there for my husband's job. We lived there for three years, but that first year, our youngest Kelly was so sick, just one thing after another. I think partly because the pollution at that time, she had a lot of upper respiratory, but she had a fever that was not breaking and almost like her neck was getting stiff. And any mom knows that fear of meningitis. And there was one night I had taken her to the clinic and I, they thought it, they didn't think it was strep, even though she was prone to it. So they didn't give her antibiotics. So she kept progressively getting worse. So this one night we lived kind of out in the country. So there was nothing like 911 or urgent care. And the closest hospital was hours away. And she had fallen asleep because the Tylenol had kicked in. And I was just overcome with fear. I think I got a glimpse of what it would mean to have a nervous breakdown. Like I was 
on the edge of losing my mind to worry. And I mm. knew I had to get a grip with my God that night. Of course, I, w- I woke my husband Rick up and kind of brought him into the fear and he prayed with me. I even called my dad in America to pray over us. And then I even called a pediatrician in the US. It was 3 a.m. my time, 3 p.m. his. He got on the phone and said, I don't want to diagnose anything, but I would go back to the clinic tomorrow and demand antibiotics, but I knew I had to make it through the night and to, um, I had, I knew I had to make it through the night and I realized I needed to surrender her to my God. And it was as if I had her in my arms and I lifted her to him in my heart. And I said, I know you love Kelly more than I do. I cry out for full healing and wisdom of how to, to treat this, but I'm going to trust you that no matter what choice you make for her, I'm going to still trust that you are good and you are faithful. And I didn't do that in my own strength. I know now that the Lord was just there with me. And I also ran to scripture again, the sword of the spirit to get my mind to focus on the truth. And a favorite passage is Psalm 91. I used to read it so much over my girls when we lived in China that I ended up memorizing it. And God used his word to rescue my heart and mind that night to where I could think clearly and peace came over me. God's word promises a peace that goes beyond human understanding in Philippians 4. And Jill, that's what he he brought over me. And I was able to sleep. But this mama bear, when that clinic opened in the morning, I was there saying, I need antibiotics for this child. And they mm-hmm. fortunately agreed. And she turned a corner within 48 hours. But that was a turning point. I think I realized I'd been making an idol of them and especially their safety and their health. And that surrender was a turning point for me. Now, that doesn't mean I've not had another, a lot of other fearful nights when they were growing up and sick. And and even now as a grandmother, I still battle it, but I have learned to uh, really use prayer and God's word is weapons to fight the enemy because he knows where we're most vulnerable. Um, Your listeners may have different areas where they're most vulnerable and that's where he likes to come at us. Like we're prey, like a lion would do that. And so that's where it's good to be aware of how you're vulnerable and how the enemy comes at you. Yes. Yes. You know, you just happen to make me think I have a, um, a free resource that I haven't mentioned in a million years. Um, I don't even know if I've ever mentioned it on the, um, podcast, but it's called uh, 25 scriptures for when you're going through a hard time. Um, for those of you that are listening, I'm going to put that in the show notes because, um, sometimes you don't know where to look, you don't know what to do, and you need that truth that will hold you steady. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Judy here is you're Mm -hmm. talking about really God's word was holding you steady during that dark night. And mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. to, we have to know that, um, his word is living and it is, it is not something that you just open on Sunday morning when you go to church or you hear the pastor talk about, it is something that you need to have in your life on a regular right. basis. Right. One thing I like to mention regarding anxiety though, is not to, I would never want anyone to think I'm saying it's all a spiritual battle because anxiety can be a sign of trauma in your past where you need counseling or there can be something going on in your brain, like the serotonin where it's depleted and you need to get medical help. And so balance is the key to approach that type of, of battle or clinical depression. You know, I think in the past, you and I, our baby boomers at churches were all, it was always just a spiritual answer 
or when you battle those types of things. But my point of sharing about anxiety, I have a chapter called When I Am Afraid, is just knowing how the enemy is using your tendencies towards something like that to make you be overwhelmed and question God's goodness and, and protection and to let him, the enemy, come at you ferociously in the area where you're most vulnerable. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you also share in the book about um, a little bit of your marriage story and that there was a season that you and your husband weren't sure you would make it. So talk about um, how your understanding of warfare actually helped you get through that crisis. Yes, that was about 20 years ago. And um, Rick and I were are deeply in love and even were then but he had some hidden things in his life that he needed wanted to confess to me he actually first went to our pastor and my dad to confess and he was a completely changed man a broken man and when by the time he told me i saw such brokenness and he was walking in freedom and but god it was hard, obviously. It was shattering. And the Lord really met us, though, in profound ways. But before I wrote the book, I said to Rick, do you think we would have made it without understanding how to fight the enemy? And he said, no, we wouldn't have. And I think what happens often, especially for couples who have been in crisis, when there's movement towards freedom and living in freedom, the enemy will step up his shenanigans. And we sense that. And so we knew we had to dwell in God's word together. We started rising up early in the morning and just dwelling in his word. And we would pray scripture prayers together. And we knew we were in a battle and we would pray on our armor. And then we, of course, had great counseling. We went to a great Christian counselor um, we had accountability with other couples who were praying for us, and God brought us through that time. And now we're approaching in two years, it'll be 40 years, and we would be able to both say we've never been closer. And some of that comes from the scars of our story, knowing what God rescued us from. And our heart for sharing our story in the book was to have a story of hope in there for other couples who are on the edge and ready to be done, or those who are working hard in their marriage and need some tools. And so there is a whole chapter, not about our story, but a really practical chapter. And we do share some of our story and we're so grateful where we are today. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, particularly in marriage, um, it, it becomes easy, especially when things are hard and they're dark, it becomes easy to see the other person as the enemy. Mm -hmm. And boy, that's exactly where Satan wants us. He wants Mm -hmm. us to see the other person. This is why the Bible tells us that he comes to, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is a divider. And Mm -hmm. so he's dividing. And one of the ways that I know helps me in my marriage is that when Mark and I get sideways with each other, and it has definitely reduced over the years, but we still get sideways with each other is for me to be able to identify where the real enemy is, Mm -hmm. because then my efforts go in a different direction. Do you find that Judy? Oh yes, definitely. Yes. Um, I think one of the most compelling stories I ever heard was from John and Stacy Eldridge. I was at something Stacy was talking at, speaking at, and it was early in their marriage where they realized one day that they were both 
thinking lies about the other. And it was related to, they thought they were a huge disappointment to the other spouse. Like Stacy said something like that to John, like, I just think I'm a huge disappointment to you. And he goes, what are you talking about? That's the farthest thing that I think. And then he turned it around and said, but I've been thinking that's what you think about me. And that's kind of when you know someone else is in the room, the enemy. And that was part of our story as well. And so just what you said is just to pray for discernment. And I think it's so good for us as wives to ask the Lord to give us his heart for our husbands. How does he, how does our God see our man? And Mm. I started to do that and God really softened my heart about some of the rough edges in our marriage or things I thought about Rick. And then another area that I think I failed him for many years was I didn't respect him and I didn't even realize it, especially in the area of finances and, and saving money. It was so important to him to provide for his family. And I was not part of that whole budget idea. I mean, it just makes me shake to think of a budget. And uh, we've come <laughs> a long way there as well. And a great book on that, of course, is Love and Respect by Emerson Egridge, and their workshops are great too. So, but yes, to, to pray for discernment because the enemy is coming at marriages like never before in Christian families. And we need to be aware of that and be strong, really soldiers to fight for our families. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So one of the things I really like to do here on the podcast is move from the why and the what to the how. So one of the things that God's word tells us is that we're to um, put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against the the schemes of the devil. So let's talk practically about what that looks like for us to put on our armor each and every day. Can you give us some some next steps, Judy, on that? Yes, yes. What I love about the armor, as it's outlined in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, is first to think of why Paul wrote that. It's almost like he's desperate, like it's a battle cry. And the church of Ephesus, he was burdened for them because the uh, city of Ephesus was really steeped in worship of goddesses. I'm sure there was a lot of occult type of things happening. And when you read those few verses, it's, it is a battle cry where he's saying things like, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And I think for many years, I looked at that as if it was dependent on me to have my armor on. And if I didn't pray it on or think about it, I wasn't being covered. But the Lord has been showing me that each piece of the armor is who Jesus is. He is the one who covers us. It's his righteousness that's like a breastplate on us. It's his truth from his word. And he's, you know, we're told he's the way, the truth, and it's like the life. It's his truth that's like a belt that holds this armor on us. And our minds can be guarded by the helmet of his salvation. Mm. And even with the shield of faith, I used to think it was my weak faith that can ebb and flow every day that had to be strong enough to have that shield up. And yes, there is a handle on a shield and we do have to have faith that he protects us. But we're told in Psalm 91, it's called the shield of his faithfulness. And I like to think about it, his faithfulness is covering us. And then we can walk in sandals of peace only because he's the Prince of Peace, and it's his peace that washes over us. 
Our part, though, I believe, is the offensive weapons, the sword of the spirit. And that's where we, the practicality behind memorizing God's word, dwelling in it. I know in that season when I was in deep sorrow without God's word, I think I could have just there's a, a psalm that says something about without his statutes, I would have died in my affliction. And I almost felt like I could have died. And so I would dwell in the psalms. There's a lot of lamenting psalms, you know, that David wrote. And from those, I learned that you can cry out to God with your sorrows. And so the practical way of praying scripture, I have a lot of ideas in my book about that. And then the other offensive weapon is prayer, which is verse 18. A lot of people think the armor stops at the sword of the uh, spirit verse 17, but it's all about prayer in verse 18. And that's what I think is often neglected by us as believers, isn't it? It's easy for us mm -hmm. to find the time to pray, our minds wander. And so again, I have a whole chapter called The Roar of Prayer, the last chapter of the book, with practical ways to revive and awaken our prayer life. And that's really become my passion because I think that more than anything, the enemy wants to keep us from prayer because it's such a threat to him. Um, yeah. So the idea of putting on the armory, what's important is those first few verses say, be strong in the Lord and in his might. It's all about being in him. And I think it's about us um, dwelling and abiding in the truth that we are covered from the top of our head to the tip of our toes by this armor, who is Jesus, and to live strongly and confidently in that rather than giving into the fear that the enemy has more power than our mighty God. Mm -hmm. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I once heard somebody say that um, that when we memorize scripture, it increases the Holy Spirit's vocabulary in our lives. And mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be long scripture. Like, mm -hmm. you know, years ago, I memorized, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Mm -hmm. And man, I've used that scripture so many times to calm me down, to carry me through something that was, you know, I was fearful of, um, to settle anxiety, uh, to give me courage. So, um, so, you know, what we need to do is, is be in God's word, reading it. Um, maybe, you know, if there is a verse that, you know, you, you put to heart, you know, that you memorize. And sometimes um, I find it's easier to do that through like, I do better when I can attach it to a song. So mm. I don't just memorize words very well, but if I can attach it to a song or make up a song or make up a little ditty, that'll um, help me to remember it. That's helpful for me. Um, and so if somebody's never opened their Bible, Judy, let's just say they're listening and they've never opened their Bible or they've opened it and then they're overwhelmed with it. Where mm -hmm. would you say is a good place for them to start? Baby step. Well, I would say for those who are struggling with sorrow or disappointment or a burden, let's say for a prodigal or I don't need to list everything. People are going through such hard things right now. I would tell them to run to the Psalms. There are so many Psalms that are so comforting. And you know, David, the psalmist who wrote much of the Psalms, he was often hiding in caves for his life because he mm. was being hunted by King Saul or his own son, Absalom. And many of the worship Psalms or the lamenting Psalms, he was writing. He just, I love to think of him in a cave, just hiding and 
and he was with his men and maybe staying up late writing these works of art. And I mentioned Psalm 91, just the first two verses, if you're sensing a battle, I'm going to just quote those quickly from the old NIV that I memorized, that he or she who, who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Just that one verse, there's like four names of God. There's all of these ways he protects us, a fortress and a rampart, which is like a protective barrier around you. I have dwelt in those that psalm. For decades, like our house was under threat of of, uh, being consumed by a forest fire. We were out of it for 10 days and I would dwell in Psalm 91. I I mentioned about doing that when Kelly was sick and a really sweet part of her story is we found out when she fell in love with her husband that her, his parents prayed Psalm 91 over him ever since his infancy because they almost lost him when he was born. And how sweet to know all those years that... Uh, Kelly's future in-laws were praying over her future husband with the same psalm. So that's a great example. Another one is Psalm 139, such a beautiful psalm about God's creation of us. I started working on memorizing that when I was pregnant with my daughter, and now I pray it over my grandchildren. But like you said, it doesn't have to be a whole psalm or a whole passage. It can just Mm -mm. be a few verses that you cling to. And it's amazing how God can rescue our hearts from fear, anxiety, depression, with his living word. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Those are great places to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, uh, before we bring this to a close, um, let's talk about someone who doesn't really know how to pray. Cause one of the things you said is, you know, prayer is a, is an important weapon, um, that we have. And so if somebody has felt like, um, they don't know what to say. They don't know where to start, or maybe they just need to revive their prayer life. What would be a next step that they could take uh, to be intentional about that? Well, in my book, I have written prayers for each chapter that goes along with the theme of that chapter. And that might be a good place to start. They're just short paragraph prayers related to the one on fear or on temptation, or there's one on how to worship God through prayer. And then in the back of the book, I have written prayers. My father was known for writing beautiful scripture prayers based in scriptures, powerful prayers in all of his books. So I included one that he wrote. I put it in my book based on Psalm 91. Mm. Then I wrote a prayer about the armor. And so those are really more like prayer patterns where somebody reads through those, it helps them keep their mind captive to the truths in the prayer and also to learn that type of praying scripture. And then I also have a free resource through my website. It's called the power of praying scripture. It's just five prayers of scripture with kind of an intro outro in the prayer that I wrote. And those are great um, models or patterns for listeners to be able to grab a hold of to see how to pray scripture. So my website's my name, judydunnigan.com, and they can download that free prayer resource if they subscribe to the blog. Uh, But another thing, Jill, is I would encourage them to just cry out to the Lord and ask him to teach them to pray. You know, there's no perfect way. Mm -mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I had a grandmother who raised five sons on a farm and who was so worried about them often that sometimes she'd just see them like racing down the country roads on tractors or horses. And she said she would just say, oh, Lord, keep them. That was her prayer for them that day. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, keep them. And he honors that as well. He just wants us to come to him in prayer and to pour out our hearts to him. And you can do that as if you're just talking to him and he's the same room as you, which I love. I love mm-hmm. that about our God. Mm-hmm. I do too. Yep. It, I think we overthink it and we make it harder than it is. And it is, it's just talking with him, just like you would talk with a friend. Mm-hmm. So, so important. So uh, if you want to download that free resource that Judy was talking about, I will make sure that we put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, we'll include that link and um, Judy, um, Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I think it's uh, a super important one. And uh, people find you on on your website. Are you on uh, social media as well? Or do you primarily mm-hmm. hang on your website? Yes, I'm on Facebook and Instagram with my name. Um, Facebook is, has my maiden name as well. So it's Judy Bubeck Dunnigan, but they'll find me, I'm sure, if they just search for Judy Dunnigan. So mm-hmm. I love meeting people there. And uh, I also blog on my website. And I have one I wrote. It's called Psalm 911, <laughs> just about the first verse in Psalm. And it's something oh, I, I run to that. when fear wants to take over. And so they'll be able to find that as well. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. I love that. Would you be willing to pray for our listeners as we just bring this to a close? Yes, I'd love to do that. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we are so grateful to be yours. We are so grateful, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. We worship you today as the God who was and is and is to come. And we're so grateful. We're told in your word, Jesus, that you are seated at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us and that the spirit also groans for us when we have no words to pray. And I know Many who are listening are in deep sorrow right now or have questions about you or really struggling with trusting you. I thank you that you're interceding for them and that you love them so much. I thank you that your word also says that we can come to you with anything in prayer. We're told that your throne is a throne of grace where we will find mercy and grace there. Make us a people who pray and who long to have relationship with you. And thank you for the victory, Jesus, that you have won for us. You are seated on the throne and Satan is a defeated foe. So help Mm -hmm. us to know how to live in that victory, to wear our armor proudly. Thank you that you do cover us from the top of our head to the tip of our toes and from all sides you hem us in with your protection. May we live as though we believe that. And thank you that you are such a compassionate God, that you want us to come to you, to cast our anxiety onto you and to come to you with our sorrows. Mm -hmm. And so we love you and we worship you and we are so grateful for all that you have done for us in your mighty and holy yet very personal name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. 
One more thing, we have three free eBooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.